Our scripture readings this morning are found in the Old Testament, the prophecy of Joel, chapter 2, verse 28 through 29. Listen now to the word of our Lord. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. We're going to read from the book of Acts, and we're going to see the fulfillment of the prophecy the Lord spoke through the prophet Joel. Before we read from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, I would like to make a few comments on the book of Acts. And in doing so, I want you to know that I am delighted to introduce our new sermon series, which we are calling Rediscovering Your Purpose. And over the next six weeks, through the book of Acts, we will rediscover your purpose and our purpose as First Presbyterian Church of Fairfield. So a few brief comments about the book. First, the book of Acts has an abbreviated name and a full name. It has a nickname and a full name. The nickname is the book of Acts. The full name is the Acts of the Apostles. The book of Acts was written by a Gentile doctor named Luke. In Jesus' day, in ancient days, only the wealthy could afford doctors. And, and we have reason to believe that Dr. Luke was the personal doctor of a man named Theophilus. Theophilus was a wealthy Roman citizen. And, and this is a little bit strange. A doctor perhaps wouldn't do that, do this today. But in, in Luke's day, Dr. Theophilus funded and sent Luke on a journey to investigate the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have Luke's findings, and they are contained in the gospel of Luke. Theophilus sends Dr. Luke to investigate the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel of Luke. Not surprisingly, while Dr. Luke was on his journey to investigate Jesus and his life, he converted to Christianity. And after he converts to Christianity, Luke feels led, feels called to go with, to journey with, the very first leaders of the first church. And the name of the leaders of the first church is the apostles. Luke was the travel companion to the apostle Paul. He also spent time with the other apostles. The Acts of the Apostles is all about Luke's experiences as he is journeying with and spending time with the apostles. So in the book of the, the Acts of the Apostles, we have a historical record of what happened 
during the early days of the church. Now let me read from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Here's where Dr. Luke starts. In my former book, in the Gospel of Luke, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After Jesus' suffering, Jesus presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, Jesus gave his apostles this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After Jesus said this, he was taken up before their eyes. A cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. It's the word of the Lord. Mark Twain said, the two most important days in a person's life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. For thousands of years, people have asked why. Why am I alive? What on earth am I here for? What is my purpose? This week I was discussing this question about purpose with my wife, Melissa. And I said to her, as long as we are both alive, I feel like my purpose is to be a good husband. And as long as I'm able, I feel like my purpose is to be the father my children need me to be. I came to the realization that purpose is often found in part in relationships. That purpose is rooted in relationships. I also realize that relationships change. And when your relationships change, so will your purpose. This week as I was 
pondering the question of purpose in my study, I had a thought, as long as I have the privilege and honor to be your pastor, my purpose is in word and deed to show you who Jesus Christ is. I, I realized that my purpose is based on my current circumstances, which means when, my current, when your or my current circumstances change, so will our purpose. Finally, while wrestling with this question of purpose, I remembered a widely accepted and famous quote by the theologian Frederick Buchner. Purpose is when your deepest passion meets the world's greatest need. The quote brought to mind my friend Jay. Jay is the owner of Jay's steak and hoagie joint in our old neighborhood, not too far from Sesame Place. If you're ever taking grandchildren, nieces and nephews, or your own children to Sesame Place, go to Jay's. And this is Jay's story. As a teenager, his family took their first cruise to the Caribbean. Jay was having a lovely cruise until they docked on their first Caribbean island. As they were docking, Jay realized that the people on the cruise ship were overstuffed and overserved, while the people on the island were hungry and undernourished. Jay saw the need and dreamed of starting a restaurant whose purpose is feeding the hungry. Today, a portion of every cheesesteak Jay sells goes to feeding the hungry. Purpose is in part discovered when personal passion meets the world's needs. When passion and needs change, and they will, so will your purpose. And so as I was pondering the question of purpose this week, the question that came to mind for me is, is there a purpose in a world that is changing that is unchanging? Is there a, a purpose that you and I have been called to that is not temporary, but an eternal purpose? A purpose not based on season or life change or capacity or capability, but a purpose that stands all the days of our lives. When we think of the first followers of Jesus Christ, the apostles, we, we often forget that the apostles had families and friends, that they were in relationship, that the, the, the apostles faced different circumstances daily, economic circumstances, circumstances that were related to their health, that the apostles each had their own personal passions and they saw the different needs of the world. And the interesting thing about the apostles is in the midst of ever-changing relationships, circumstances, passions, and needs, they never had to ask themselves the question, what is my purpose? And the reason is Jesus spoke to them and speaks to us before ascending into heaven about our un changing purpose. And so today, the good news for you is you never have to wake up again in the morning and, and think and wonder, what is my purpose? 
what, 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 I, what, what should I do today? Because in the midst of ever-changing relationships, circumstances, needs, and passions, God has given you and I a purpose. And here it is. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus not only gives the apostles their purpose, he promises the power to accomplish it. Verse 4, on one occasion while Jesus was eating with his apostles, Jesus gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Wait for the gift my father has promised. It's the power to accomplish your purpose. And it's what we've heard Jesus speak about as we were journeying through the gospel of John. The gift that the Father has promised is the Holy Spirit. And in John chapter 14 and 16, Jesus promises that he'll ascend to the Father and the Father will send in his name the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. God and Jesus are getting ready to send the Holy Spirit to dwell in human beings. That means God is sending the Holy Spirit to dwell in your mind. God is sending the Holy Spirit to dwell in your body. God is sending the Holy Spirit to dwell in your soul, to dwell in you. And Jesus says to them, wait for the promise, wait for the Holy Spirit. I'm giving you the promise and I'm giving you the power to accomplish your purpose. And then he continues in verse 5, for John the Baptist baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Many of us know the story of John the Baptist, and people went out from, from all over the region to be baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And this was just as Jesus was beginning his ministry. The word baptism means to soak, clean, submerge, and saturate. When people were being baptized by John the Baptist, they were being cleansed, they were being submerged in the Jordan River, and the idea was the outward cleansing of their physical bodies pointed to the inward cleansing of the sin in their souls. Here's the difference between John the, John's baptism and Jesus' baptism with the Holy Spirit. The baptism that John gave for the repentance of sin is a cleansing. It's, it's an inward cleansing of your sin. Just, just think about this. This might help you to remember it in a, in a different way to think about it. When, when you go to wash the dishes, and hopefully you wash your dishes, you, you baptize, you soak, you submerge the plate in the hot, soapy water, right? and you wash it, and the plate is cleansed, and then the plate, you put it on the countertop, and, and it's drying, and then you put it away, right? Th this is how you can think about John's baptism. The difference is, with Jesus' baptism, instead of this idea of a plate being washed or cleansed, or a person being washed or cleansed of their sins, think about it this way. You take a sponge, and that sponge is, is sitting somewhere and it's dry, right? It's a dry sponge and it's next to the sink. And in order to wash the dishes, you place that sponge in the hot, soapy water. And what happens to that dry sponge that previously would not be useful to clean anything? It's filled with the water, right? It's filled with hot, 
soapy water, and then it can go out, the sponge can do what it has been purposed to do. When you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, the idea is this, you're not simply being cleansed, you're being filled with the Spirit. Not surprisingly, Jesus actually refers to the Holy Spirit as living water. So there's a difference with Jesus' baptism of the Holy Spirit. You're being filled, changed, empowered by the Spirit of God. And, and here's the thing. You do not become a holy robot. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you remain yourself. You, you're, you're still Liz. You're still Janet. You're still Peter. Yet now you have the power of the Holy Spirit. You're filled with the transformational power of the Spirit of God. You change from being the, the earthbound limp kite to the kite that now soars through the sky through the power of the wind. You change from being the torch that gives no light to the torch that has finally been lit. This week in my YouTube feed, they had a story about a tiger that had been chained up its entire life. The tiger lived in captivity for 20 plus years on a chain. And within, the, the, within 30 to 45 seconds, you see this tiger that is famished, skinny, downtrodden on a train, and you see the tiger cut from its captivity, the chain is cut, and the tiger is set free. And for the first time in the tiger's life, you see the tiger walking. You see the tiger jumping. You see this tiger literally come alive, filled with life. Yes, the tiger remains the tiger, but the tiger becomes a different type of tiger. I'm drawing you to the power of the Holy Spirit. The Christian without the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the limp kite, is the unlit torch. It's the tiger that may believe in freedom, but is still in captivity. But when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which God says he will give without limit, you become a free person for the very first time. You become the light of the world. You become empowered by the Spirit, the wind of God. Not surprisingly, in Acts chapter 2, the Father and the Son, they deliver on the promise of the Holy Spirit. They bring the power in the presence of God to the believers of Jesus Christ. And how does the Spirit come in Acts chapter 2? In the sound of a violent wind and the appearance of tongues of fire. And, and you know, Jesus says, do not judge. Amen? That, that, Jesus says, do not judge. People are like, no, I'm holding on to my judgment this morning. No, you're not. <laughs> so I just have to be honest with you. I struggle. I've been known to judge weather people. Um, and if you're a weather person, I know you're doing your best. I thank you for your service. But I do have to say, besides the fact that, you know, sometimes they're not, uh, now and again, they're not right about their forecast. The, the, uh, the other thing that drives me crazy, and, and I drive my wife crazy because every time it happens, I'm going crazy and I'm yelling at the TV. H have you ever noticed how weather people voluntarily stand out in hurricanes? 
and, and they're just getting drenched and it feels like for no reason, you don't have to put yourself on the shoreline in the hurricane to accurately report the weather. Have you ever noticed that, that weather people, they're, there's a, they're calling for a tornado and, and the weather person's out there and they're being blown away by gale force winds and there's no reason to stand out in the wind because you can accurately report the weather from a safe place. Have you ever noticed you, you watch forest fires in, in California and the weather people, they have to be like right in front of the fire and, and they smell like smoke and there's ash that's raining down upon them and, and you think to yourself, there's no reason for you to be in the rain and the wind and the fire to report the weather. Maybe you don't, but I do. On Pentecost, the day that Jesus delivers on his promise to bring the power so that the apostles can fulfill their purpose, it says that the, the Holy Spirit comes in the sound of a violent wind and the appearance of tongues of fire. Jesus' followers are in a Holy Spirit storm. They're baptized in living water, moved by the wind of the Spirit, and changed by the purifying fire of God's presence. And this move of God, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, is meant to bring us to, the, to understanding in the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Because under the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 3, the angel of the Lord appears to Moses in flames of fire in the burning bush. And the Lord speaks to Moses, calls him by name, introduces him, introduces him to God the Father, and gives Moses God's purpose for his life. But the fire remains external. The fire of God remains on the outside. On Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes down, the fire of the Lord does not remain outside of us, but comes to live within all who call on the name of Jesus. In other words, the presence of God, the fire of God, the wind of the Spirit, the living waters comes to be in us. Make, the Holy Spirit makes his home in us. Taking the light of the world and making you and I the light of the world. The reason God gives us his power and his presence is so that we can accomplish God's purpose during our very short stint here on earth. And surveys show that 95% of all Christians will never accomplish their purpose. They'll never do it. 95%. And I'm going to tell you something right now. The, the reason our churches aren't full on Sunday morning is not because there's a, a scheduling conflict with soccer. The, the, the reason that we've moved to post-Christendom in the region of New England is not because of societal forces that the church is powerless to come against. No, 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 no. The reason why in, in the United States of America the church has become stagnant, has ceased to grow, is because Christians, people like you and I, have ceased to do God's purpose. And so what's the purpose, right? That's the big question. Okay, okay, pastor, you're really telling me I got a purpose and, the, and, I, and the, uh, we have the promise and the power to accomplish it. What is it? And, I, and I, I guarantee you that you were not taught to think about purpose this way. You, you didn't learn this in school and you probably didn't le learn this in your household. Even if you were raised in a Christian household, 
I wonder if, if you told your kids this, and I wonder if you were told this as a child about purpose. Here's what Jesus says in verse 8. You will be my witnesses. Here's the purpose, guys. You. Not, not, not simply the guy wearing the robe. No, 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 no. You. You. Come on, tell yourself. You. You will be my witnesses. Here's your purpose. You wake up in the morning, what do you tell yourself about who you are? You are Christ's witness. No matter what season of life, no matter what challenges you're facing, difficulties, relationships that are falling apart, circumstances that seem to be unfavorable or hopeless, what's your purpose? You will be Christ's witnesses. Your purpose, no matter what's happening in your life, is to be Christ's witness. What does it mean to be a witness? I know what I think of when I, when I think of witness. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me. Yeah, the wit a witness is someone who swears on the Bible, tells the truth in, in a courthouse. The, the purpose of the witness is simply to share all that they've seen, heard, and experienced, and the jury makes up their mind what they believe based on the testimony of the witness. Being Christ's witness means sharing the truth and the whole truth of Jesus Christ, so help us God. Being Christ's witness, and, and I'm, this is not going to be exhaustive, we're going to spend five weeks about what it means to hear, see, and experience God, but just I want to give you a starting point for what it means to be Christ's witness, and briefly I'm going to give you three things. First thing is this, how, how can you, you, you were made for this, this is who you are, so how can you be Christ's witness? Being Christ's witness means using words to share God's word. There's a real popular quote that has been falsely attributed to St. Francis, preach the gospel always, only use words than necessary. It's, it's not biblical. Read the, read the book of Acts. It's, it's, it's actually the opposite of what's happening. The clearest way for you to communicate to another human being is by using words. Do you know what my wife says when, when the dishes need to be washed? She says we need to wash the dishes. You know what she doesn't do? We don't play charades. She's, she doesn't come up to me and she's like, no. Because the, the, the clearest and most compelling way to communicate is by using words. That's scary, using words to share God's word. Have you done that? Probably not. 95% of Christians haven't done it. They've never shared the gospel, the story of God's love with another human being. Never have. It's scary, you know? And, and the idea is like, I don't have all the answers. I don't know enough about God to, to, to tell God's story to another person, even if they need to hear it. Even if they need God's hope, God's peace, God's forgiveness, a relationship with God. No, 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 I don't know enough. After the apostles received the Holy Spirit, Peter, the one who was impulsive and cowardly the last time we saw him, he stands up and preaches a sermon. He shares God's words using words. Do you know that the New Testament hadn't been written? Do you know that Peter did not have all the answers? He was not a biblical encyclopedia. You know what it means to share God's word by using words? Just share what you know about God. That's enough. I got to tell you, what you already know about God is sufficient. You don't need new information to share God's words using words. I'm going to prove it to you. Let me prove it to you. 
on Holy Thursday, on Monday, Thursday, we had a, a worship service and we remembered the, the Lord's Last Supper and his passion. And, and during that service, one of the things that stands out to me is we had a moment where we did a symbolic foot washing. And if you were there, you probably remember this. Someone came to you and they put the, a towel on your feet. And hopefully they looked up to you as they looked up to me and they, they were staring in your eyes. And they shared God's word using words. And they told you that Jesus Christ, he came and he died. And it wasn't just for the world, it was for you. It was personal. It was because he loved you. And so today, no matter what you've done or where you've been, you are holy and righteous and blameless in God's sight because Jesus Christ gave his life for you that you might have new life. And I know what happened to my heart when someone spoke God's word using words. My heart was filled. My heart was touched. And it was because a few of our people were willing to speak God's word while using words. The second part of witnessing, being Christ's witness, means doing good works to share God's word. And, and I just have to say this, it's not one or the other. It's not, um, I do good works and so I don't have to speak God's word. Or, or, I speak God's word. I just did it, so there's nothing required of me to do. It's both. This is how Jesus functioned throughout his entire ministry. There was words and works, works and words. So, so let me just give you a, a quick anecdote about what it means to do good works to share Jesus Christ. There was an older woman uh, who attended church her entire life. And her body was failing. She was limited. There was, there was less and less that she could really do. And she, according to her own testimony, never won a soul to Jesus Christ. Never. There was not one person who came to Christ through this woman's life. And she was bothered by it and she prayed about it. And so she prayed and she said, God, whatever, whatever I can do to, to, to witness, help me to do it. And do you know that same week, a for sale sign was put out in front of the, her neighbor's home. And a few weeks later, a few months later, someone moved into that house. And this woman made up her mind. She said, you know what I can do? I can make a mean coffee cake. I make the most delicious coffee cake. Some of you here make some delicious cakes, hallelujah. I know I'm keeping you from coffee cake, but we're gonna, I'm going to let you build up an appetite for a few more minutes. She makes a coffee cake and she goes over as they're moving with coffee. And she says, hey, don't worry about getting the dirty dishes back to me. Don't worry about any of it. I know you're busy. I know you're moving. Just enjoy. Later that night, the, the family's still moving in because moving takes forever. She orders a pizza. She says, hey, here's dinner. Have a pizza. Enjoy. Don't worry about getting anything back to me. Just have the pizza. Enjoy it. Over the course of a month or two, she builds a relationship. She's just doing good work. She's blessing her neighbors. And after a few months of building a relationship, now she has the rapport and she says, you know what, guys? I have a great church. I love my church and I would love to take you there for a Sunday. And these, they're not church-going people. They say, you know, we'll go anywhere with you. You're great. And so they go to church with her. That family went to church with her the first time and then they kept returning and returning. And this woman says that one of the most fruitful and satisfying days of her life as she was growing old, was the day that that family was baptized into the family of God as followers of Jesus Christ. Being Christ's witness means doing good works. Last thing, God's the one who's doing the work. Guys, God's the one who's doing the work. 
We share God's word. We do good works. But it's God the one, is the one who does, who does all the, really the, the work. It's God who touches hearts. We're not changing anyone. We're not transforming anyone. It's only by God's grace. And though I'm out of time, I'm going to tell you this story. A couple weeks ago, right before Easter, someone comes into my office. And they say, and, and this person doesn't speak English. They don't speak English. They speak Portuguese, and they speak a little bit of Spanish. I speak English, and I speak a little bit of Spanish. We have a lot of difficulty communicating, an awful lot of difficulty. We use a little English, we use English, we use Portuguese, we use Spanish, and we use a whole lot of hand signals. We just motion to each other. And so this guy comes in, he knows that I'm a pastor, and I'm having a hard time understanding him like always. And, and eventually, because mama is a pretty universal word and he's kind of showing me a body that's suffering, I catch on that his mom's sick. And he asked me to pray for his mom. And, you know, he does one of these motions to pray. And I was like, okay, let's just pray right now. I prayed in English. It was a prayer that this man did not understand. I knew, I, know, I still know nothing about what his mother's going through or what his mother has been through. But in that moment, I decided, you know, I know God is a healer. And so I need to, my witness is to pray and to ask God to heal. So we prayed. Do you know, a few days ago, he came up to me happily. And somehow, some way, through English and Portuguese and Spanish and a whole lot of hand signals, I learned that the day we prayed for his mother, his mom got up out of her hospital bed. Who did that? Don't you look at me. Don't you look at that young man who wanted his mama to be healed. It was God doing the work. It was God doing the work when we were willing to witness. And so how can you witness this week? How can you share God's word? And how can you do good works in a way that will testify to who Jesus Christ is in your relationships, in your circumstances, when you're out there living in your passions or meeting the world's needs? We are called to be God's witnesses. You have a God-given purpose. Mark Twain said, the two most important days in your life are the days you are born and the day you find out why. Today, you discovered why. And over the next few weeks through the book of Acts, we'll talk about how you and I might learn to see, hear, and experience God and become Christ's witnesses. Amen. Thanks be to God.